no matter what station he goes on, when Judge Andrew Napolitano pops on to radio or TV, you know you are getting the unvarnished truth, at least from his perspective. And uh, we could use a little dose of truth these days. Judge Andrew Napolitano, it's so great to have you back on the program. Oh, Frank, thank you for that uh, generous introduction, my dear friend. You're, you're pretty independent yourself. God bless you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's amazing I've uh, been able to hang on to a job, that being the case. But uh, both very, very lucky, very lucky, thanks to uh, John Catapatidis. Hey, I, I want to uh, pick your brain on a few different legal issues. Um, let me begin. I know this may sound silly to some folks, but I think it's such an interesting case. With this uh, Alec Baldwin situation where he's been uh, he's facing this charge of involuntary manslaughter as a result of the shooting that took place on uh, this film Rust. Now, regardless of what people think about Alec Baldwin, either as a performer or as a person, and I'm sure people have varying views, it does seem a little odd to a lot of people that Alec Baldwin's being arrested and charged for following the instructions of a cinematographer who told him where to point a prop gun and that he had no reasonable expectation to think was loaded. I mean, do you think Alec Baldwin could have a real problem here? Well, the law in New Mexico, which is the same in most states, it it is in New York, New Jersey, uh, and Connecticut, where the folks primarily are who are listening to us now, is that the person that pulls the trigger is responsible for what comes out of the barrel, no matter what has preceded that. So even though um, the, the, the defense that you've articulated would be a defense if this were a civil lawsuit, mm-hmm. uh, he would pass the blame to the person who materially, substantially, egregiously, erroneously misled him as to whether the weapon uh, was loaded. But that is not a uh, defense in a criminal case. In the criminal case, liability, criminal liability is in the hands of the person who pulled the trigger. So criminally in New Mexico, he had the duty to be certain uh, that that uh, a barrel was empty or that what was in there was just, you know, the, the equivalent of a starter's pistol, something that just made noise but didn't didn't propel anything. On the other hand, um, I think that his uh, pattern of relying on what she said to him would probably move the jury uh, pretty strongly in his favor. I hope so. Uh, regardless of his politics, you know, I work with a lot of people that can't stand him, but that's sure. not the, that's not the standard. The standard is that he have a, a culpable criminal mind, and I don't believe he did, and and I hope he's acquitted. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. It's uh, fascinating to watch. All right. Let me ask you about a handful of the three dozen Trump legal cases that have now dominated the news cycle. Uh, let's go to Georgia. There probably are. I lost count after three dozen. Let's go to Georgia in what a lot of people were saying was the toughest case for Trump, because even if he's elected, he can't pardon himself if he's convicted and he can't simply pull the plug on the prosecution. It really seems like the D.A. in Fulton County, Fawny Willis, could have a problem here. It's been alleged, and she so far hasn't denied it, that uh, she appointed a lover of hers to be the special prosecutor and then paid him around $700,000 in public money for this prosecution of uh, this case. 
what happens here? Um, what is, does the future hold for this case? And what does the future hold for Fonnie Willis? Well, let me ask, let me answer about the case first. I, I don't think this affects the case at all with the, uh, possible, uh, exception of delaying it a little bit. If she and the boyfriend, uh, who was a, a prominent lawyer in Atlanta named, uh, Nathan Wade, if she and Mr. Wade uh, are removed from the, from the case, there are two types or two categories of prosecutorial misconduct. One is personal misbehavior uh, by the prosecutor, which uh, questions the prosecutor's judgment or credibility. That's this category. The other is uh, misbehavior that affects the case, like they bribed a witness or they mm -hmm. uh, hid some evidence that is uh, beneficial to the defendant. That latter category could affect the case, but that's not what this is. This is just her personal behavior, and it's, and it's in the what were you thinking category. Hiring your boyfriend and then going on a, a trip with him? The, the defendant is one of the, a former president, but also one of the most aggressive and notorious characters in the country when he thinks people are after him, and he's going to go for your jugular and humiliate you. Um, so in my opinion, even though this is a, a a gift horse for Trump because he will use this adroitly as only he can uh, politically, uh, I don't believe that this will affect the case at all, as I said, with the possible exception of delaying uh, the start of the trial date. Now, as for her, I, I think she's finished politically. I don't mm -hmm. know that she's going to lose her license to practice law. Is this? Uh, an ethical violation. Well, if she did this in order to get some sort of a benefit, like whatever vacations they went on, well, then it is a serious ethical violation because she used taxpayer dollars to benefit herself. If the uh, trips that she went on were just, you know, they would have gone on them anyway, uh, then um, I think it looks bad and she has a lot of uh, credibility issues, but I don't think she's done anything uh, anything wrong, but you or at least nothing your, your boyfriend uh, to a or girlfriend, as the case may be, to a public uh, position like this uh, really is is highly inappropriate. I don't know that she have enough credibility to run for election. Remember, she's like Alvin Bragg here in New York City. She is popularly uh, elected, so she has to face the uh, voters over this. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Judge Andrew Napolitano, legal scholar par excellence, best-selling author, news analyst, and the host of a terrific podcast, which I make sure never to miss and I learn a great deal from. And uh, you could check it out for yourself at JudgeNap.com. That's JudgeNap.com. Judge, yesterday uh, we were told that uh, President Trump may end up testifying in the uh, damages portion of the trial for the E. Jean Carroll civil suit. Looks like that's delayed because of a sick juror and one of uh, President Trump's attorneys is also a little under the weather. Where do you see this going, this E. Jean Carroll uh, damages portion of the case? One, is it wise for Trump to go forward with testifying? And two, where do, what kind of damages do you think Trump is looking at here if uh, once the jury ultimately does make a decision? Okay, so E. Jean Carroll is the lady that uh, sued Trump 
under a statute that the New York State Legislature enacted, which opened up the statute of limitations for uh, adult survivors of uh, sexual assaults, no matter how long ago uh, they happened. Mm-hmm. So she came along and sued Trump and said in, in the early 90s, he raped her uh, in a uh, dressing room at the Bergdorf Goodman uh, department store in Manhattan. Um, Trump, uh, at the time he was sued, was the president of the United States, and he made some negative comments about it, which basically said, I never heard of this lady, never met her, it didn't happen, she's a liar. Um, she then added to the lawsuit account for uh, defamation on the basis of what uh, Trump said. Trump asked the Department of Justice to defend him in the defamation part of this complaint because he was the president of the United States at the time he made the statements and was at a press conference on the White House grounds. And the DOJ hemmed and hawed and then decided that they would defend him. Um, And then uh, the trial judge said, well, no, he, he was the president. He was in the White House, but this had nothing to do with the presidency, so he's not immune, and he doesn't get the DOJ to protect him. Uh, That was appealed to a federal appellate court, which upheld the trial judge. So that took four years during the for for the appeal to be resolved. During those four years, the case against him for the rape went to a jury in Lower Manhattan before the same judge. He had a superb A plus trial lawyer. Uh, one of the best cross-examiners in the business by the name of Joe Tacopina. Sure. Uh, Joe, in my opinion, did a superb job, but the jury believed her for the most part. So uh, Trump was found that he did not rape her, but that he did sexually assault her, and they awarded her $5 million. That's on appeal. Trump has posted a bond, meaning he's, he's purchased an insurance policy that insures that there's $5 million, and if, if Trump uh, loses the appeal and doesn't pay the $5 million, the insurance company pays it, and then they go after Trump. That's the way that policy works. Now, uh, the defamation part is going to be tried, and the issue is what damages did she suffer, not as a result of the sexual assault, but as a result of what Trump said uh, on the ellipse outside the Oval Office. He was literally outside on the driveway part of the White House. Um, Joe Tacopina, who I admire dearly, uh, was criticized for not putting Trump on the stand during the rape allegation. Uh, a lot of people felt that Trump should testify. A lot of people felt that Trump should not. Look, we all know what Trump is like. He can sure. be very persuasive, but he can also go off on a tangent. Uh, so they decided it was dangerous to put Trump on. He never said put in the courtroom, and obviously didn't testify, and the jury uh, apparently was offended by that and clobbered him on uh, on the uh, judgment of $5 million. A lot of money for anybody, even him. So now uh, a different team of lawyers representing him have decided he should come in the courtroom where he's already been, and he should show the jury his respect for them, and he should testify. But this is not whether he defamed her, and this is not whether he assaulted her. This is just how much money does he owe her. The court has already found as a matter of law that he defamed her. 
So there's very little that Trump can testify to because the only issue before this jury is how much did she suffer? What is her loss of reputation and other suffering worth? She has already testified to how she has suffered. Uh, She will put experts on the stand who will testify to equating loss of reputation to uh, a dollar uh, figure. Uh, So I don't know what Trump can actually testify to, but I believe his presence in the courtroom, if he behaves himself and doesn't get in a fight with this judge, who's a no-nonsense judge, um, his presence in the courtroom can only help him. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes. So uh, what sort of figure do you think we could be looking at here? Do you think Trump could be looking at another $5 million judgment less, more? Yes, I do. Yes, Mm. I do. Uh, They all know who he is, and they all have a a feel for what he's worth. Uh, You know, in some of these cases, uh, the plaintiff, that's uh, Ms. Carroll, uh, is entitled to show the jury the financial worth of the defendant, because you've got to know who you're punishing. You know, are you punishing somebody that's worth $100,000 or worth $3 or $4 billion? If it's three or four billion, the punishment's going to be more. Obviously, now five million bucks is a lot of money to anybody. Whether you're Donald Trump or King Charles, sure. absolutely, uh, or just a guy on the on the subret stand outside the courthouse, it doesn't matter. So, I don't think they've gotten to that point yet of Trump's worth, uh, but they might. the The plaintiff is still putting her uh, her case on the stand. Um, the documents are now all public as to Trump's worth, uh, because they all came out in a, in a courthouse up the block from this one, where the case was just tried against the Trump organization, and the case is, is replete. These are public documents now uh, with documents about the Trump organization and Donald Trump's uh, worth. So the jury will have a good handle on what he's worth. So if they decide... Uh, that he should compensate her again. They're not deciding if he defamed her. That's already been resolved by the judge. They are only deciding what that defamation is worth. It could be zero or it could be some gargantuan number. We, We don't know. I know it's late, and I'm going to let you get to bed in a moment, but i, I got to ask you a couple other quick questions uh, related to Trump, and then one uh, one issue unrelated to anything Trump, at least directly. The 14th Amendment cases uh, trying to disqualify Trump for the from the ballot. Obviously, Colorado went uh, the direction they went. Maine, where Trump actually won two electoral votes in the last two presidential elections, they've decided, at least for the time being, not to allow him on the ballot. Supreme Court is going to hear this case. I kind of thought this was one of those rare cases that you'd see the conservatives and the liberals unite and throw this case out and say, of course, Trump has to be on the ballot. I was surprised uh, when I interviewed uh, George Washington University law professor John Banzaf a week or two ago, who I think you know, who's a pretty straight shooter. He said he could actually see a scenario where the Supreme Court could decide that states do have the right to throw uh, Trump off the ballot. What's your read on this case, Judge? And what do you think, knowing the kind of leanings of all the current justices, where do you think the Supreme Court goes on this? You know, this whole argument was started by three conservative Republican law professors 
or apolitical. These are not people that hate Trump. Sure. And they wrote an article in the University of Pennsylvania Law Review. It's about 130 pages long, replete with historical examples of people being uh, thrown off the ballot without due process, meaning without a trial. And they started this whole debate. In Colorado, this is bad for Trump. There was a trial. He didn't take it seriously. He sent lawyers there. They were not first rate. They did not produce witnesses uh, as to what Trump was doing on January 6th. Uh, They did not call their client. Uh, They only produced historians, historians on the meaning of the word insurrection. That trial went on for three to four weeks without a jury. The judge in that case found that an insurrection occurred and that uh, Trump aided and abetted it, but that the 14th Amendment, because it doesn't mention the presidency specifically, does not apply to the president. The Colorado Supreme Court accepted the factual findings of the trial judge that an insurrection occurred and that Trump abetted it, uh, but disagreed with her and said the 14th Amendment obviously applies to the president because it applies to all officers of the United States, and the president is an officer of the United States. That issue is before the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court of the United States must rule on this because Minnesota, which has one of the most liberal Supreme Courts in the country, ruled the opposite of the way Colorado did. So even though I know and respect a lot, a high, high regard for Professor Banzoff, I disagree with him. Because this is the U.S. Constitution. It cannot mean different things in different Mm -hmm. states. The state constitutions are unique to each state. State laws enacted by state legislatures are unique to uh, its state. Something may be lawful in New Jersey and unlawful in New York and vice versa. But when you're talking about the federal constitution, It has to mean the same thing. So the Supreme Court, in my opinion, is morally and constitutionally obligated to tell us what the 14th Amendment means. Now, by that, I mean, does the the person whose name is, is being struck have to have been convicted of aiding and abetting an insurrection? Or if there is any evidence of it, is that good enough? The problem is the history of the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. And the history of the 14th Amendment goes like this. It was enacted in 1868. It has a lot of great clauses in there. But this one was put in there to keep former Confederates, whether they were soldiers or whether they were officials of the southern states, from uh, entering the federal government. So they would say, for example, oh, Frank Morano. He wants to run for Congress. We saw him in a Confederate uniform for six months. He can't run. That was good enough to keep you off the ballot in 1868. (laughs) But as we got through World War One and World War Two and entered what we consider the modern era of American jurisprudence, we are a lot more respectful of due process. So to use you as an example, Frank Morano, well, we would have to prove that he, not not because we saw him in a uniform, it could have been a Halloween costume. We would have to prove it to a jury 
that he aided or abetted uh, an insurrection before we can strike his name from the ballot. So the Supreme Court's going to have to say, what is the standard in 2024, not in 1868, but in 2024 for applying the 14th uh, Amendment? Now, the Supreme Court has already ruled that the states cannot add to constitutional requirements. So there's only four requirements to be president. Natural-born citizen, 35 years of age or, or older, lived in the U.S. for 14 years prior to running, and did not participate in or aid an insurrection. Those are the only requirements. The states can't add any requirements. Can they interpret those requirements? In my view, no. In my view, only the federal courts can interpret with authority what those uh, requirements mean. So the Supreme Court has to rule on that and tell us what the 14th Amendment means in all 50 states. Do you have to have a trial? Does the person have to be convicted? Or is this hearing that they had in Colorado that Trump didn't take seriously, is this enough? Right. Uh, well, no, I mean, that's very clear and makes a lot of sense to me. And it's one of the reasons I'm glad I only wear a Confederate uniform in the privacy of my own home and no one's seen me in that Confederate <laughs> u- uniform out and about. Uh, last last Trump question, Judge. And we've been talking with Judge Andrew Napolitano. Uh, check out his website, JudgeNap.com. Um, the president's lawyers have uh, made a pretty broad claim regarding immunity. And the pre- President Trump himself went a bit further with this on uh, Truth Social when he said a president of the United States must have full immunity without which it would be impossible for him to properly function. Any mistake, even if well intended, would be met with almost certain indictment by the opposing party at term's end. Even events that cross the line must fall under total immunity or it will be years of trauma trying to determine good from bad. There must be certainty. What do you make of this uh, Trump claim of total immunity, even for events that cross the line? Uh, I think it's um, it's not consistent uh, with due process, and the court will uh, reject it, and they pretty much ruled that way in the U.S. Uh, versus Nixon cases. Uh, he is entitled to what's called absolute immunity uh, for exercising the functions of his office. So one of the things he did was to dispatch drones to kill a, uh, an Iranian general who was going to lunch in Iraq uh, attempting to discuss peace between Iraq and Iran. Uh, some say that's an act of murder. Others say it was uh, an act to diminish Ir- Iran's ability to attack uh, the United States. He cannot be prosecuted or sued for that. Whatever it was, murder or um, uh, defense of the U.S., it was within uh, the scope of his, uh, of his uh, office. Uh, the issue is, was whatever he did or didn't do on January 6th within the scope of his office. Now, here's where it gets a little dicey. Whatever he did or didn't do is a question of fact, not law. And facts in American courtrooms are decided by jurors, not by judges. So a, a trial judge is going to have to hold hearings, hold a trial, and then say to the jury, 
if you find that the defendant acted within the scope of his office, then you will stop your deliberations and find him not guilty. If you find that he did not act within the scope of his office, then you will proceed to answer the other questions on this juror uh, interrogatory about whether the state has proven him guilty uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the way I would resolve it. In my opinion, uh, after that terribly absurd argument that his own lawyer made, which made the lawyer the laughingstock of the legal community for a week, uh, that Trump could uh, order SEAL Team 6 uh, to kill a political opponent, and, and he couldn't be prosecuted afterwards. That's absurd. Um, I think uh, Trump is going to lose in the appellate court. I don't think the Supreme Court will take the case. I think as soon as he loses uh, in the appellate court, it's going to go right back to the trial court for trial. Uh, lastly, sir, on the international front, and I hate to end with such a heavy subject because, you know, you have a good sense of humor and I love joking around with you, but there's nothing funny at all about this. Uh, we're watching what's happening in the Middle East and around the world in general, and we see at the International Court of Justice, uh, South Africa is accusing Israel of carrying out genocide in Gaza and demanding that the court order an emergency suspension of Israel's military campaign. Well, just in the last day or so, Mexico and Chile, they've expressed growing worry over uh, an escalation of violence, and they've asked the International Criminal Court to look at war crimes uh, committed by both Israel and Hamas, as I understand it. What do you see happening there with respect to war crimes on either side and any action by the International Criminal Court, Judge? All right, so there's two different courts here. One is International Criminal Court which actually prosecutes people, and when they're convicted, punishes them, incarcerates them. Um, that is a treaty signed by every country on the planet except for Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, and the U.S. Ah, oh, we're in good company. Uh, good company. Uh, the international... A court of justice is a court of the U.N., and that has jurisdiction over all um, countries that are in the U.N. Mexico's in the U.N., Chile's in the U.N., South Africa's in the U.N., the U.S. is obviously in the U.N., and so is Israel. But that court is basically toothless. It mm -hmm. can't punish. It doesn't have an army uh, to enforce its decisions. So if the uh, ICJ, the International Court of Justice, decides that Israel is engaging in uh, homicide, in the genocide. Uh, it will issue an order, and Israel, like any other country, would thumb its nose at the order. However, internationally, it will isolate uh, Israel. Israel, in my opinion, is already losing the PR war. This will be the coup de grace on the PR war. What Mexico and Chile are talking about is getting the ICC to indict Benjamin Netanyahu as it's indicted Vladimir Putin uh, for uh, war crimes. And George Bush, uh, right? Yeah, correct. George W. Bush, believe it or not, cannot travel outside the United States. There, there's a, it, just, it sounds absurd, but it's true. There is an EU, European Union-wide um, 
arrest warrant for George W. Bush. Um, so, I mean, he knows that. He's aware of it. He still gets Secret Service protection. He doesn't leave, he doesn't leave the U.S. Uh, so Mexico is talking about going after BB personally. South Africa uh, went after uh, Israel as a country. Understood. So these are two different standards. In the ICC, in the International Criminal Court, uh, there is a trial. There are criminal trials. Um, uh, Milosevic, some of those uh, Slavic, I forgot what country they're from because they, they broke up the Yugoslavia into so many different countries. But some of those guys uh, uh, were arrested, tried, convicted, and are serving life terms in prisons in Northern Europe because they were convicted by the ICC. So this is a real court with real teeth if they arrest you. If they mm-hmm. don't arrest you, if they're not going to arrest Putin, I mean, they'd have to He'd have to go to a country and where they can arrest him. He'd be crazy to do that. If they did arrest him, he would be tried. But until they arrest him, they're not going to try him in absentia. Now, uh, what judge. Do I think will happen in the International Court of Justice? Uh, I think Israel will lose. I think South Africa made a compelling case. Wow. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, wh- where that goes. Do you have any idea of the timetable for that? Do we know that? Uh, they indicated the, that a decision would come down before the end of this month. So we've got two weeks wow. left. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, fact, Judge we Napolitano. Were a decision, we're expecting a decision today because the UN suddenly canceled what it was doing today, uh, but it, uh, it didn't come down. So that decision will be t- taken to the Security Council. Uh, and then the Security Council will be asked to ratify it. Now, the U.S. is not the Security Council, so the U.S. will veto that veto, decision. Right. The U.S. has a veto. So there are 15 members of the Security Council. The vote will be 13 to 1 to 1. U.S. will say no. Great Britain will abstain. All the others on the Security Council will uphold this decision. Whatever it is that Israel did commit genocide or that it didn't. Judge, we're going to have to end it there. I always appreciate your time. It's always a treat to talk with you. I always learn a great deal whenever we speak. Thank you.